first and foremost, we have this idea. New developers have this idea, like you know, once I once I become this uh, rock star programmer, clients will come. Doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Your biggest asset is your network, mm-hmm. and a lot of people spend a lot of time learning to code, but they don't learn to network. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going to be a freelancer. Look, we're not all going to work remotely. There are just too many of us to get jobs in Silicon Valley. Even though Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley actually has a job shortage, it's true. Yes, but there are too many of us to get remote jobs, especially as a new, you know, new developer. And we are not all going to get job at one e-commerce company in Nigeria as a big developer. So quite a number of us are going to have to learn to make a business out of our skill. And part of making a business out of your skill is learning to network. Hello and welcome to the Creative Chronicles. My name is Brighton Maker and I'm your host for today. And welcome, welcome, welcome back. Uh, we've been uh, on a two-week break. We, we had to take time off and uh, get refreshed. Uh, and um, believe me, it was worth it because the person we are having on today is an amazing boss. And um, I really, really, really do appreciate his time. He's really, really busy. I, uh, it's not easy to get him on. He wears many hats a lot of times. <laughs> he is a really, really amazing. He's an amazing developer. He is uh, a full stack dev, Python and uh, JavaScript. He loves those two. Like any questions you have about those technologies, just meet him. He'll give you an answer. Uh, we have joining us today, Mr. Mahmoud Tukura. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Okay. Okay. Uh, what we usually do to go over the intro stories of our guest in the first segment. Okay. okay. So what I want you to do for us is just what got you interested in tech and how did you get into tech? Uh, well, I had uh, I had two of my uncles that were into you know technology. One of them was a network engineer with Motorola and another one was a software engineer with IBM. And I think I was about 14 years old when, you know, the one working in IBM came home with his, uh, his uh, PC at the time. And I was amazed at this, the screen and the commands you had to type then, you know, to access it. But at the time, anyway, I wanted to play the game that he had. He had this game, Dangerous Dave. And uh, you, you, had, you had the floppy disk at the time. Yeah, so, you know, slowly but surely, that's what got me interested in tech. But then to now really, what really piqued my interest oddly enough were the movies that came out. Some in the 80s, some in the 90s. There was a, there was a movie called Hackers with Dana Jolie you know, and it presented you know, programmers and network engineers in this very heroic light. And then you also had the War Games. You know, that, was, that was the 1983 that the one came out. And that also kind of cemented it. So you have, you have this kind of uh, this kind of things at the time in your childhood fantasy ideas of what a program is. Yes. So uh, yeah. the the next step for you was it uh, a, a university degree or uh, what was the next step? Was oddly, it? oddly enough, it was my path towards becoming a full stack developer wasn't you know the traditional education type. I I actually went to school for something totally unrelated to tech, uh, you know. And for a while, I did tech more as a hobby. Because at the time when I was doing it, you know, you, it wasn't really that profitable. Mm-hmm. You tell people that you're building websites or something and they'll tell you to get a real job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because not that many people are building websites. Uh, 
unless you were outside of the country, there wasn't really much happening. You know, this uh, you know this was what in the nineties, and then even in the early two thousands, you didn't really have much happening in tech. So my first work working experience was nowhere near tech, even though it was even though I was the executive director uh, for a technical for an energy company. But it still wasn't, you know, a developer. My job was to break down the technologies that we used in the, in the company, maybe for presentation, uh, for project finance. My job was to understand the technology so that I can explain it to uh, the financiers or to, you know, the board of directors and all of that. But it wasn't really anything focused on software engineering at the time. Uh, that came much later when I basically burnt out of the whole corporate life. I, I didn't like you know, the, the suit and tie lifestyle, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got some valuable experience with that, you know, mm-hmm. having, having you know, studied from many renowned business people in Nigeria who were on the board at the time, you know, learned from them, older gentlemen. Uh, but then I, want, I wanted to, you know, to flex that software side mm-hmm. of me. And so after a while, I just quit the corporate world and then went fully into software development. That's what I do now. I still have people who occasionally would want to invite me to come and join some company and, you know, on the board and uh, business and and, uh, I always turn them down now because, well, not always. If if it's something that interests me enough, if it's something that I can flex software on, I'll probably get involved. But if it's one of all those paper pushing, come and make presentation, (laughs) some people type I don't need responsibility now. Let's break down what happened before you quit? Uh, uh, yeah. Did you like okay have a plan? Do you have like okay this is what I'm going to do? This one? Uh, did you have like a runway? Well, let's well, talk see, about that. Honestly, I think it was half and half. I did I did have a plan, yes, but uh, it wasn't a proven and tested type of plan, like a well thought out type plan. Because some people will tell you, you know, they strategized and they did this. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a well thought out plan. First and foremost, I, I, at the time anyway, software still was not a big deal. Mm. You know, I had made enough contact and enough network to be interested in you know what I had to offer. So some of my first experience with actually building professional applications where people who say, well, um, we heard that you know you you build websites. Can you please do websites? Because I built the company website that I was working for. And some people like, oh, you know, we see your website. Can you build? And then there was this guy that wanted Big Brother at the time. Uh, I can't remember his name. We call him K Black. I can't remember his name. Um, some of my cousins were building these websites. They had a company startup in Abuja called Dexterity Interactive. And it was a really big, you know, company. They built websites for state government and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So yeah, I kind of watched the way they did their thing. I learned graphics design from them. You know, learned some other programming stuff from them. And so by the time I was ready to step out of the company, few people that have already done one or two either graphics design okay. work or, or you know, just some basic static websites. Uh, you know. But initially it was really just HTML, a bit of CSS with Dreamweaver. Mm-hmm. Back then you just with Photoshop, we designed the site, we cut it up, you know, export it to Dreamweaver and then just link the bloody thing and call <laughs> it today. And if, if if I needed animation, I'd use Flash and Action Script at the time. I'd build an entire website with but it, it would it won't load as fast because it's one is animated all over the place, you know, but we liked it and it was fine. It was a novelty at the time. 
was kind of how we got started. Yeah, no other side did. Was there, were you afraid? Were you scared that, okay, this, this thing might, might, might not work? Well, no. No, not really. Okay. Because I'd already I'd started to get enough attention for that side okay. of my skill. Okay. And I had made a decent amount of money mm-hmm. from it. I could tell, okay, you know, this is actually doable. Um, but then there's, there's also a business side to consider. I think coming from a business background, with a business experience, as against just doing it blindly, I think I was able to prepare for eventualities. Okay. I, you know, you know that you know in business there are going to be the uptimes, the downtimes. You know, you understand, and then you know, okay, how do I spread out? What uh, average income am I looking for every month? Yeah. So even if I do projects that are over that amount of money, the rest of it just going to savings or something. You know, you start to apply some of that business, and when you actually have it in paper, and you know, like a proper business plan, not just some tech idea that you think people will buy. You actually have a proper business plan of how it might work out. It gives you a bit more confidence in our project. Now, having it on paper is not a guarantee, as because I've seen that many times when doing project finance. Some of our we've had to adjust our feasibility stuff many times, but still having it, you know, gives you a bit of you, know, you can actually see the way it flows, mm. and then you can now, you know look at market forces and say, okay, based on you know, demand right now, I should be able to execute this with 50, 60 percent certainty, and then you need a huge amount of faith. Yeah, yeah, in the end, uh, you can plan one way and then massive things are changing, and then you know it's, it's like that. Awesome, awesome. So, um, now if you want to do some things over again, if you want to go over and start back, what, what is something you would not do, and what are some things you would focus okay. on? Well, first and foremost, I would not jump around so many different programming languages as I did because you see, when you approach it from a hobby point of view. You are, you are more, you are very inquisitive. Yeah, I mean, I started out as a Java programmer. I did Java enterprise application mm-hmm. at first. Um, although this was after learning this, after learning Photoshop and HTML and all of that. But then I learned Java because I like Android. I like building Android applications. But even then, after learning Java for a while, I was more focused on Java enterprise application. I did not want to go anywhere near the web. Because I did not, I didn't really see the advantage of the web, and this was based on my own past experience. I didn't realize how far the web had gone. I was still working with old information, with people that just really want to get this page and stuff like that. And that's it. I want to finish it up. I really was focused on that. But then seeing the way the web was going, and then starting to do a bit of embedded programming and all that kind of stuff, I then jumped from Java. Actually, even before that, I jumped from Java to C sharp. And I did C sharp for a while. I did game design for a while. I did a, I did a game with Java. Put that on the App Store. Did not monetize it. No business sense there, you know. But I started jumping from one language to I jumped to Python. And over over the over the years, I found out that I had learned so many programming languages, but I was good at none. Mm. I wasn't really that good at Java to begin with. I didn't stick with it long enough to become. I built applications that people paid for, yes, but I could not teach anybody Java. Mm-hmm. And until you can actually teach something, you're not really good at it. Mm-hmm. So I learned Java. I, you know, I thought of some of my friends, you know, some of the basics, classes, and this thing, but that's about it. I didn't teach anybody anything enough for them to become a decent developer. 
then I switched to C sharp and that again I don't. Then I finally moved on to Python. And I didn't even stick with Python at first for that. I jumped from Python again and I kept on jumping from one to another. Uh, until I guess as you mature and you get to a point where you realize that people are not really just paying for uh, what's it called for you to be putting lots. The clients don't care how many programming you use. Can you do the job? People don't care what's in the box. Does the box do what it's supposed to do? Mm. And that understanding came with a bit of maturity because I did not have mentorship. Okay. See, that is why I always advise people to go to meetups. You see, when I started, there were, there were no meetups. It was you by yourself with a giant book. <laughs> yeah. And add that to the fact that I hate reading. Mm. So mm-hmm. there were no meetups. There was nobody to talk to and tell. So I'd spent months. You know, hacking away at things and then go to sell it and they find out that the market doesn't need it. Even though I have been doing it, you know, since my teenage years, it's only in the last two to three years that I've actually become comfortable as a developer. Because the technology has approached this singularity stage right now, where if you're a JavaScript developer, you're a Python developer, there's very little that separates you guys these days. Mm-hmm. So when you start to understand that you can actually do these things, even with just little uh, what's it called? Knowledge. Mm. You can then begin to flesh out and expand yeah. that knowledge. So I think that's, that's what I would change. Although the time I started coding, I didn't have much of a choice than to be myself and just kind of feel my way in the dark. Mm. But if you're doing it now, you have a bit more guidance, you have a bit more yeah. resource. You know yeah. what everybody wants already. Mm. And then you can you know, plan based on that. Yeah. You, you said that it's uh, like three years <laughs> now that you are now getting comfortable. Yes. All you attribute to be um, the reason for it. Meetups. Meetups have been a big part of not just you know getting comfortable at the program, but also dealing with imposter syndrome. Mm. Yeah, the big one. <laughs> you do not know how much you know or don't know until you actually meet with people. There are applications that I built, deployed online, and I was happy, you know, for a while. I spent months, you know, looking at the applications online, like, yeah, I built that. But then after a while, I start to wonder, is it really that people are not just happy myself? But then, when you go to meet up and you're talking to people and you say, well, I did this small application and they're like, eh, you know, you have to do it. And you're like, maybe that thing was actually good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you know, someone's like, okay, you know, what, what language do you use or what stack do you use? And you're actually you know, communicating in the same language, the same lingo. Mm-hmm. You understand each other. And then you start to think, maybe I'm not such an imposter after all because I'm using words that I know. I'm talking about frameworks that I know. Yeah, I'm not surrounded by non-developers who don't understand. So I'm just speaking to the meters. I'm surrounded by people who actually get what I'm saying and getting feedback and it's flowing and you know. I we know the same thing. Mm. Yeah, you understand. So meetups are a big part of how you actually conquer imposter syndrome and get comfortable as a developer. It's, it's a way for you to gauge your, your skill and gauge where the market is going. True, true. Yeah. Like 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 learning <coughs> new skills, there is a time that comes where um, I think it's called um, you begin to feel as if uh, not imposter syndrome now, mm. but it's like you get stuck, yes. like you're in a bus, like you are, like I am presently picking up PHP programming language. Yes, there is a point I am at now, and I'm feeling like it's like I want to pick any tutorial. I almost know what the person is going to see. I almost know, but okay, uh, but am I really a PHP developer? Yes. I have not built any stuff like this. But if I want to go back to any tutorial. You are really good at using it. Yeah. Like, I would be seeing what the person is going to say next. Mm-hmm. As in, 
there's hard drill components. Tutorial forgetry is what they call it. I saw it on um, Medium. <laughs> Oddly enough, it was actually that same article. Maybe I'll, I'll tweet the article out. Okay, I think I did. It's called Tutorial Purgatory. It's where when you're using tutorials, you've done that tutorial like three times already. That's it. And you are really good at it. And one day, you're thinking, you're fired up. You're thinking, man, you know, I'm gonna, gonna, when I finish this, I'm actually going to do this for that guy. You finish the tutorial, and then the first time you try to build something on your own, you, know, you forget things, and then you're like, so it really didn't work, but why you didn't tutorial? It was clicking. You see, there's no way past tutorial forgetting that you just build something. Hmm. They will tell you the same thing, but then you ask, how do I build? How do I get I'll give you an example. I just finished the tutorial. There's a particular yeah, Python concept I was trying to learn. I've, I bought the course on Udemy since last year. Hmm. I finished the course last year. I thought I was really good at it. And then a few months ago, I was trying to do the exact same thing and I flopped. So I went back to the tutorial and I found myself skipping. Because I'm like, okay, this is this, uh, I already know this, this is this, I already know this, this, this. And then I realized my problem wasn't that I did not know how to build it. I needed someone to tell me how to stack it, what to do first, and then mm. the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. But every single thing that the person did, it's actually right there in the documentation. And documentation has gotten so good right now that you can literally copy and paste. Mm. I'll give you an example. I work, when, when building Python apps, I work with Flask. And I love working with Flask. But then a bunch of guys in the community were talking about you know, using Django. So I thought I'd give Django a try. The first time I tried Django, one point, you know, where I didn't really like it. They had all these regex things and all that kind of stuff. I, said, I, didn't, I don't like regular expressions at all. Django 2 came out and they've normalized the URLs and everything. And then I went into you know Django 2 for a while. By the time I was done with the first tutorial, I had ended up building a shopping application. And at first I thought, okay, big deal, you know how to build a shopping application. But it actually took another person in the community to tell me, dude, you built a shopping application, that is not a small thing. And I'm like, just trying to make me feel good. You know, but he's, he's like, no, seriously. That I use Django and I can tell you, yes, Django is well fleshed out, well suited for that kind of thing. But, you know, so, so yeah, you, what you did is actually quite good. And then, it was only then I was not confident enough to be able to share my code with other people. And people actually find the code useful. Yeah. But if you ask me to build a Django website now, because I don't use Django, or I don't actually don't use Django. If you actually build a Django website right now, I'll probably take like two days to refresh that course. Okay. Or just go to the Django documentation because I found out that one of the biggest things with especially a framework like Django is, is beautifully documented. Yeah. So there are some things that I copy and paste. I might not necessarily understand okay. the nitty gritty, okay. but I know that if I use this code like this, it's going to give me this result. So I just copy and I paste and I you know, use all that this thing. And it, it works. Okay. And it's the same thing with the project that I'm working on now. I have never built anything like what I'm building now before. And I'm using Flask, I'm using a bunch of plugins that I've never worked with before. But the documentation is actually just yes, I copy, paste, and I go, okay, that's when it clicks. This is what's supposed to do. So one of my major advice to people is learn to read documentation. One of the problems we have with tutorials 
is that you find this guy that just typing this thing out, just coding that, and yeah. wondering how does he remember all of that? What we don't realize is he has done a wrong of that project the first time. Mm-hmm. He's made all the mistakes. Because I always interact with any tutorial I'm playing, I always interact with a tutor. A tutor. And I asked them questions. Why did you do it this way? Why did you do it? The guy that I met Django from immediately, I sent him a message when I saw the way he did something. I asked him, Why did you do it this way? He said he wanted to do it the other way I was talking about. He ran into problems. So he went online and other people told him he should do it this this particular way. But you see, when he was doing his tutorial, he didn't he didn't say that. Yeah. He didn't say he ran into problems trying to do it the way we think it should be. And that he he went online to find that solution. That he gave them, and that was that was a light bulb moment. Like, okay, so these guys that do tutorial, they don't necessarily understand everything. Sure. You know, and then you, there are some YouTubers that I follow, and right. some of them will tell you, oh, this part of the documentation, they're going to do, and then they copy. I like those kind of tutorials because you actually see the guy is not the smartest guy in the world. Mm. He's just someone that knows how to read the documentation and he knows how to use the documentation, yeah. and then that actually becomes your strongest suitor developer. Let him to use the documentation. I, uh, what this brings to mind is like uh, someone building a house yes. and has seen the blueprints. Like, exactly. Uh, and he has even built the house, so he completed it. And it's now rebuilding it. Rebuilding it. So, <laughs> you, need, you need the blueprints. You need, you need the professionals. And sometimes domain knowledge also applies. For example, if you're building an accounting application, if you know nothing about accounting, I don't care how good you are, your application will be True. But if you do know about accounting and then you learn programming, you can build an accounting application that would wow anybody. So domain knowledge is important. If you if you want to do things with mapping and all that kind of stuff, if you have a background in geography, yeah. you can actually build those kind of those kind of things. If you are the kind of person that you are very good at meeting people, networking with people, all that kind of stuff, you could probably build a social network application or bring certain features that are missing in social network applications. Because it's a problem that you see in your own daily life, and that is where domain knowledge comes into play. And that's why you find sometimes when you're building a project, you're always consulting with someone, or you bring yeah. someone on the team that has domain knowledge of that thing, and he will, you know, draw out a plan for you, which is another thing that I have to learn anyway. Because back in the day, when I get an idea of a program, I just start coding, <laughs> and then I, before I know what's happening, I'm lost. Mm. But now, you know, I code differently, which brings me. To a, a vital lesson that I learned. Okay. See, two of the most important people in my entire programming career that really taught me both. Both of them are younger than me, far younger than me. Okay. And that's another thing that we need to learn in coding. You have to be you have to be teachable. Mm-hmm. Both of them, one of them a girl, she's a she's a bloody good C sharp developer. And when she was teaching me uh, this banking, uh, quite fictitious bank kind of application or an imaginary bank, I mean that we're building. And I asked her, I said, how do you know what to do when? And she says, she said, she said to me, I don't know how the whole application works. I only know how this feature works. Mm. So she said, I don't know how the whole application works. I know how this feature works. Mm. And when I'm done with that feature, I know how the next feature. Okay. So she will space everything, she will write it out. Okay. Yeah. And, she, and when I, I watch the way she works, she's actually she's one of those people that has issues herself on. Or she's quite you know, very, very quiet person. But it actually made sense to me what she said. Like, why are you thinking of the whole application? You only have a login feature in front of you. What what is your business with the with the edit post part of the function yet? Focus on the 
focus on the authentication part. When you're done, maybe you keep, might spend a week building the login feature. It doesn't mean you're a dumb developer. Probably means you're meticulous. You watch the tutorial where the guy did it in 30 minutes. That's his problem. Spend one week building your login screen. And when you're done with your login screen, and then you can from there direct to a post page that has no post on it, the page just says post page. Yeah. Then you know, okay, yeah. fine, I finished login screen. It actually works. You yeah. cannot see the post page without logging in. Now let me go and start with this first. Mm. And then you can now, you know, break that a few times and then fix it a few times. And, you know, in so doing, you actually start to master your skill. And that needs to bring you out the tutorial. Forget Amazing. So, okay. you don't focus on the whole idea. Yeah. Focus on the feature. Have an idea mm. of what the end goal mm. should be. Yeah. You write it down. So that you can now switch your mind from you know the product manager to now the developer that's working on one feature. So when you have it written down, you can now your mind you can now dedicate your mental resource towards the feature instead of trying to hold the feature and the whole application. You already have the application written down on a piece of paper on the board, and you can now switch feature level. Awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, let's give one segment, then we'll come back to the last one. So there you go. Uh, this, this is things find the meat. There are a lot of wrong notions people who maybe are beginner programmers. There are wrong notions we hold about how the tech industry works, or how clients are, or how projects will work. Projects are uh, just demystify any meat you want to demystify for us. Well, well, first and foremost, we have this idea. New developers have this idea, like. You know, once I once I become this uh, rock star programmer, clients will come. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Your biggest asset is your network, mm-hmm. and a lot of people spend a lot of time learning to code, but they don't learn to network. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going to be a freelancer, look, we're not all going to work remotely. There are just too many of us to get jobs in Silicon Valley. Even though Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley actually has a job shortage. It's true. Yes, but there. So many of us get remote jobs, especially as a new, you know, new developer. And we are not all going to get a job at one e-commerce company in Nigeria or some big job. So quite a number of us are going to have to learn to make a business out of our skill. And part of making a business out of your skill is learning to network. You walk into you know, an, an office, you have to understand that people like secretaries are actually very important. I don't do any projects in any company. I don't bring one or two people on board. And when I mean on board, like, you know, some people just like to feel a part, like they're part of something, like you're actually giving them respect. Yeah. yeah. They might not be getting respect in that office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you walk into the office and you're polite, you give them respect. <laughs> and you, 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 you walk into the office. He said, I don't know. I think he told me that you are the person to meet yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. And he said that you're the person yeah. that knows everything that's you know going on there. If I need advice on anything in this office, I should talk to him. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I can get to him. So that from time to time, if I'm confused about something, I need advice or something. People love to give advice. As a <laughs> now yeah. nobody told you that about her or about him, depending on who the person is. But you know, my Oga, so my idea. I was told that you know you're the person that I should talk to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, who told you that? So how how may I help you? Uh, actually they are older ladies and you have kind of approached them from a son to mommy level. You understand what I'm saying? They are, if, if they are young men, you know, chama idea. 
you you have to cultivate that skill. Mm-hmm. You understand? And then as you slowly you know as you slowly expand your network, the next thing you now have to think of is how do I convert a project into a client? Mm-hmm. Because you somebody might say we just want to build a website for us. Mm-hmm. It's a one time thing. They probably already have their domain name. Yeah. 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 Or even if you buy the domain for them, you buy it to you yeah. Yeah. what you call two years. Even if you are domain reseller, how much money do you really make on it? It's volume, that's where you start to make money. But then, in the, in the interim, how do you keep them? See, what I do is, I don't just build a website with them. Okay. I make the presentation first. Mm-hmm. I insist that you know, decision makers and management should be present because a website is a tool, is a brand tool, is an advert tool. So when I'm making my presentation, I am using advertising terms. I don't talk to them as a program. I talk to them as a person who is teaching them about adverts and about human psychology. Okay, we are going to use this kind of pictures because people respond to pictures. There's a project that I did not too long ago, and it was for a healthcare company. Their old website had doctors on it. The new website, I didn't have any doctor on it. And they're like, no, we're a healthcare company. You need to have doctors. I say, yeah, we'll put doctors, but not on the front page. We'll put Dr. Maybe somewhere in the about us page. We'll be saying, they say, why well, I say, because people do not go to hospital unless they are sick. It's the worst thing of the world. Doctors are depressing. And the MD, like, he had never thought of it that way. I said, sir, you can put a doctor smiling. It doesn't matter. Nobody calls a doctor unless there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like saying, like, go police station, go visit. I know they go police station, go visit. <laughs> you know? so, you, so when you educate them, you now sound like beyond just being the guy building their website, then you as a person will not have to study a bit of advertising. Study the life of um, people like Edward Barnes, they call him the father of advertising, and there are a few other people like that, you know, who, who changed advertising the way we know it. And you tell them, oh well, you guys like this color, but psychology has proven that these colors are the ones that attract people the most, because they do X, Y, Z to the mind or to the impression or to the mood of a person. So this color, you might think it's just a color, but it's not a color. It actually does X, Y, Z, and here is the research to show it. Mm-hmm. Now you've now shown that you know something they don't. Now, after you are now done building the site, if you now come back and tell them, well, you now need to track your analytics. And that's something that our company offers every three months. You know, this is you telling them right now. We need to track your analytics because you built the website now. It's hot right now. Everybody likes it right now, but the web changes very fast. Six months down the line, you might not be getting as much hits as you are getting now. So you need to track trends and des- design and redesign your website accordingly. Some people do not like to redesign their website, but every time you tell them Google said <laughs> and you show them the documents, you show them the analytics of their website, you show them the performance and all that, and you say, well, you can actually improve it. Most of my clients right now, I'm actually changing their website not to progressive web apps. Mm. <laughs> Even though it's not that long ago, I did what we call it. But you now have a situation where progressive web apps are new things, frameworks are adding them by default. Microsoft Bing Search automatically pulls progressive web apps and adds it to the Windows Store. So you have all of these features. So when you sit with them, you send them that thing. You've already established yourself as the guy that knows something they don't. Because for them, a website is just a website. But for you, a website is human interaction. And that is something that you taught them. So when you now come back and 
send them in a report. This is how your website is doing. These are the new trends. It's optional, but you can get in early. Not all of them will take, but one or two of them might say, I'm interested in staying ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. So now you, you don't just have one you know, project, project done. You don't have clients mm -hmm. that you're now making repeated income on maintaining their websites. And that's how you, you build the portfolio. Wow, like amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, I, I really pay your indulgence. We'll have you on another episode. <laughs> we'll have you on another episode and we really go down into this. There are a lot of business strategies you are giving for clients, for, for freelancers and developers that, that could help and improve their business. Like, if you're closing words for our audience, let's just do that. Um, well, my advice to you. Programmers is think beyond the now. How how relevant? Don't buy into the hype. Programming is cool, it's nice. Yes, we like it. We like all the cool stuff we get to do. Okay, but it stops being cool when you can't buy a compass. True. True. It stops being cool. Yeah. So think beyond the now. Think about how do I sustain myself? My current expenditure might be enough for me alone. But if I have to now start adding dependence. Is it is it possible? What are, the, what are the developers that you can meet to compensate for the site that you're not really good at? And for anybody who is new to development, and you actually want to start making money now because it's exactly by learn WordPress. Learn WordPress, learn WordPress well. Not the development, but the design. Because you see, once someone uses WordPress and they've done website for one, two, three clients, and they've actually been paid for that, it, tends, it actually encourages them to now really be building their own things. Yeah, but if you spend time, WordPress is almost like instant gratification. Yeah, <laughs> true. You build it, it's beautiful. You upload it. Wow, my website is online. I just go pay for it. Right, today's episode has been really, really awesome. I trust you've picked a ton of actionable content. Stay tuned, we would have Mr. Amamutu Ground on the episode where we'll take listener questions next week. Next week on this um, podcast, we'll be having some amazing announcements. So stay tuned, watch out for the announcements next week. Uh, remember to share with a friend. Uh, if you've picked any value from today's episode, do share with someone. Do share with someone. There's love in sharing, like they say. My name is Brighty Maker. Remain awesome, create awesomeness. I will see you next week.